following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. You've heard these words before, I promise. You've heard that. Few words can bring more hope or more discouragement than those two little words. You promise your children a summer trip to Hawaii and you instantly become the greatest parents that are ever known on planet Earth. Then you inform them of the necessary cancellation to your island adventure and you instantly become Mr. and Mrs. Grinch. There you go. You know how all of you can go from delight to disappointment to even despair in a matter of seconds on how you handle those two little words together, I promise. The reason that very small sentence is loaded with emotion is simply this. We live in a world of broken promises. In fact, from canceled dates to divorce, from failed payments to bankruptcies, each of you know the discouragement and have experienced the pain of broken promises. You have. Chuck Swinzall says it this way, even though the whole fabric of our society rests on people keeping their word, more and more we see the threads that, of that fabric wearing thin as broken promises lead to broken relationships, broken lives, and broken hope. Sadly, a person's word is only as good as the person's character and their capacity. Only a person with both the integrity and the ability to fulfill a promise can be completely trusted. But a person who's weak in integrity or lacks ability, a promise may be and often is broken, which means this. Leaders, parents, friends, and even brothers and sisters in Christ will at one point break a promise to you. You've had it, you know it, you felt it. To experience both perfect character and unwavering capacity, you and I have to move away from faulty and frail humanity, friends, family, to a faultless, faithful, and formidable God. Correct? For true promises. Only God can and only God will keep all His promises. All of them. Nothing, not even our disobedience can invalidate His unconditional promises. Nothing, not even thousands of years, can invalidate and erode His guarantees. And nothing, not even other promises, will nullify His pledges and His vows. God keeps His Word. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true. God cannot break a promise any more than God can change His character. Paul says it this way, speaking of salvation promises, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are yes. They are yes. So now, if you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. If you're new with us, we're working our way verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, through this incredible epistle. And basically, the Apostle Paul here is explaining the impact of God's promises. The certainty of God's promises. He wants to talk about God's timeless trustworthiness. He wants to make sure you understand that His powerful promises are a part of everyday Christian life. And in doing so, He gives another reason why the Galatians and why you here must never ever give sway to God's grace and His promise of salvation and try to work your way to heaven. Try to earn it in some manner. In fact, he wants to make sure because of the tension and the pressure of these false teachers that have beset this Galatian region and these Galatian churches, he wants to make sure you're not trying to do human achievement in, it, in basically arriving at salvation. That somehow by keeping all the rules, you're going to get there. And he wants you to make sure you continue to embrace the true salvation, a divine accomplishment by believing in Christ. And again, you know this is true, but I must reiterate it. The difference between your faith, Christianity, 
and every other religion on planet earth that has ever been from the very beginning of time to the end of time until God basically terminates what's happening on planet earth, that there's only two different faiths. Two different. One is the religion of trying to work your way to heaven. Somehow you're going to do it. You're going to keep these sacraments. You're going to make these prayers. You're going to do this and somehow get your way to heaven. Be good enough so God accepts you. The only other faith, that unique one, that is dramatically different is the one that Paul's fighting for here in Galatians. And that is the salvation of divine accomplishment. That God did the work for you. That's why when we announce the gospel, we say it is good news. Why? Because you can't do it, but God did it for you. And that's the tension that's going on here. So open your Bibles if you're not there already. Galatians chapter 3, 15 through 18. Make sure you've got your outline and read this passage out loud together. Here we go. So we can kind of own it and walk through it together. Ready? Here we go. Verse 15. Everyone, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later doesn't evaluate the covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Now, in this chapter, in verses 1-14 through thus far, Paul proves from the Old Testament that salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation has never, ever, ever been anything other than by grace through faith in God's provision. And that Every single believer, whether Jew or Gentile, is likewise saved only by faith, made effective by Christ, taking sin's curse upon himself and all the judgment that should have fallen upon us through his death and resurrection. Now in 15 through 18 of Galatians 3, the apostle writes, in anticipation of a probable argument from the Judaizers. Do you understand that a lot of times when Paul is writing, he's writing in, in, sense in response to what they're teaching. What these errant teachers are trying to lay on the Galatian believers and the Galatian churches. And he's saying, well, let me give you the argument that defeats their, you know, their, their, their issue. What's interesting is sometimes he won't state what they teach, but he gives you the answer. Does that make sense? He does that in the book of Romans as well. And so what behind these verses is an argument. Behind 15 through 18 is something that the Judaizers are teaching. What are they teaching? Let me tell you what they might say that 15 through 18 answers. And that is this. Certainly, God granted that Abraham and his pre-Sinai descendants were saved by faith. But isn't it obvious, you Galatians, you Christians? When God later delivered his marvelous law to Moses, the basis of salvation changed. They would teach a new covenant was made and a new means of salvation was then established. After Moses, the criteria of salvation became law in the place of faith or at least law became a necessary supplement to faith. That's what they would tell you. This is what these verses are going to answer. The false teachers would assert this. The covenant with Moses annulled, unseated the covenant that was made to Abraham. They'd say Abraham's salvation by faith was just a temporary measure. God provided until God gave Moses the more perfect, the more complete covenant of the law. Can you feel it? That's what they're going to say. Come on, Paul, you were a Pharisee. You understand this. The Judaizers would insist Abraham and the others who lived before the law, they were saved by faith only because they didn't have the law yet. Why else would God give the Mosaic covenant of the law? That's the argument behind these verses. Are you getting it? That's error, what I just taught you, but that's what the Judaizers would say. The anticipated imaginary argument, and Paul answers that in this passage. The heart of Paul's answer is to show this, that the promises made to Abraham, that salvation is by grace through faith, that Abraham can be reckoned righteous because of his belief only, that that is guaranteed. It's an unconditional covenant, a guaranteed promise. 
It relies solely on God's faithfulness. We're trusting in God to provide salvation, whereas the covenant that was given to Moses is a conditional promise, a conditional covenant, relying on man's faithfulness. He's saying, look, God's promises that He made to Abraham cannot be broken. All the way back in Genesis 15, all the way to today, salvation has been by grace through what? Say it. Faith. That's it. It's always been that way, and God has not changed His mind. The law did not undo that. It is only by grace. Once you add, are you ready? Anything to God's grace, it is no longer grace. Listen, that is the contemporary battle of our day. This isn't just happening, you know, 2,000 years ago in Galatia. This is happening right now in the church of Jesus Christ where people are adding social issues to the gospel that you need to be more sensitive. You need to be this way and that way in order to really be a Christian. And the moment you add anything to grace, you destroy it. You destroy it. It is no longer the work of God. It's somehow you're working your way there. Are you getting it? So yes, when you're saved, faith without works is what? But in order to get saved, there is no work. It is God's work that you're now embracing. Tracking with me? So that's what's happening here. John MacArthur would say this. To Abraham, God said, I will. I will. God said that. I will. Through Moses, he said, thou shalt. The promise set forth a religion dependent on God. The law set forth a religion dependent on who? Man. The promise centers on God's plan, God's grace, God's initiative, God's sovereignty, God's blessing. The law centers on man's duty, man's work, man's responsibility, man's behavior, and man's obedience. The promise being grounded in grace requires only sincere faith. The law being grounded in works demands what? Perfect obedience, end quote. The key is the promise of salvation by grace through faith can never be nullified. Can God break His promises? Yes or no? No. And you got to leave here today going, no. I can trust in God's promises. Not just salvation promises. I can trust His promises. In contrasting then the covenant of promise and the covenant of the law this week, Paul will first show the superiority of the promise in verses 15 to 18 that we're looking at this week. And in next week, he's going to talk about the inferiority of the law in verses 19 to 22. Now, would you agree that promises are a big deal? Do promises actually change your life? They do. In fact, behind every untrusting girl is a dad or a boy who lied, cheated, or broke his promise to her. It's true. Christians can get hurt when other believers let them down or fail or break a promise or don't do what they say. Yet Paul begins by answering the assumed argument in verses 15 to 16, and this is points 1 and 2, with a reminder that as people, do you as people trust other people to keep their legal agreements? You know what I mean by that? If there's a will that's written in your family, are you trusting that they're going to keep that will? Yeah, sure you are. And he says, look, as we are willing to trust people in their legal agreements, then maybe we should also trust God. He starts his argument that way. Now, I want you to know all four points today of today's exegesis, springing out of the text, all it is is just coming out of what the Bible has to say. All these four points are connected. They all form a really rough sentence, okay, that fits together, and we'll put it together at the very end. So number one in your outline, if you are already trusting the promises made with people, in other words, if you are already trusting people with these law contracts, these legal wills, then the next logical thought is that we should be able to trust God in His legal commitments to us, correct? Correct? So Paul basically is telling you what the law can't do. Look what he says in verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relationships. Hmm. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds anything to it, adds any conditions to it. Would you agree that many human contracts are binding? Yes? Sure. They're difficult, sometimes even impossible to void. So two translations kind of make this a little bit more clear. ESV says in verse 15, to give a human example, 
brothers, even a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Or the NIV in verse 15. Brothers, let let me give you an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is the case, you know, and then he's going to continue, with God. Now, the emphasis here, the Greek word covenant, please get this down. It is used most often in the New Testament as a legal will or as a binding agreement in the Greek language. A legal will. So that's the example here. Since once a family will is duly and legally made, it is binding. No matter what changes or conditions. You know, you may determine, I'm going to give one of my daughters a lot of money because she's really poor, and another one of my daughters no money because she's super rich. And then the day before you die, the super rich lady loses everything. The will's still intact. The, the rich, previous rich one's not going to get anything, and the poor one's going to get a whole lot. Are you with me on this? It's binding. That's the point. So, it is with God's covenant, God's promise, God's unbending legal agreement here, God's binding will to us in Abraham can't be changed. When he made that promise, so practically, what does that mean? Now stay with me. If the law of Moses was intended to be a means of salvation, in other words, keep the law to get saved, you know, work for it like every other faith on planet earth, then the promise to Abraham would not have been a promise. The promise to Abraham wouldn't have been real. Uh, In other words, God made a promise that salvation came to Abraham and his descendants by faith. If the law of Moses now is the means of salvation, that we have to work our way to heaven, understand then God's previous promise is a lie. It's broken. It's not a promise. But the promise made to Abraham, the promise that he was reckoned righteous by his faith, that true salvation came to Abraham not by his actions. It came only through his beliefs. Salvation came to Abraham not by obedience to the law, but by dependence on God through faith. That promise was sealed, as he says right here in the text, by a covenant. Write this down. A covenant is a binding spiritual legal agreement. A binding spiritual legal agreement. That's what he's talking about when he says covenant. That means... Paul is taking us back once more to Genesis chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, be adventuresome today and turn back to that crispy portion in Genesis 15 and let's take a look at some of the passages here and what he says. Abraham, when he basically is promised all these incredible things from God, Abraham asks God in Genesis chapter 15 verse 8, and if you're looking for Genesis, it's the first book in your Bible. It says verse 8, chapter 15, Sovereign Lord... How can I know that I will gain possession of it? How am I going to get all these promises? How will I know that this is good to go? How does God respond? What God does, and I want you to picture this, and I actually found a picture yesterday that I wanted to throw up on the screen. God tells Abraham to get a cow, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon, and Abraham knows what to do with it because he knows how to ratify a covenant. Verse 10 He cuts those animals in two. Pretty gross. Junior hires, this is all for you, okay? Understand, he cuts them in two, separates them, and he makes this kind of bloody path between them, and he arranges the halves opposite of each other. Now, this seems strange to us, and it it actually, the text tells us that he shooed away the the vultures, so he, he did that, which was interesting. But in Abraham's day, this is how a covenant was signed, Right? We didn't have all the legal documents that we have today, even though there were some. Get this, each covenant maker would pass through the halves of the animals in order to ratify the promise, to make sure that it is sealing the deal, to guarantee that this agreement will not be broken. It's serious. This is a covenant, right? A legal guarantee. It is very graphic. For those who walk through those animals, what you're saying is this. Are you ready? What you're saying is, if I break this agreement, I will be cut in half like these animals. Pretty gross, huh, junior hires? If I violate this promise, I deserve to die in the same manner as these animals. And they're all laid out there with their entrails. I mean, it's a gross scene here. This is about as graphic as I could find, okay? And we love graphic here, don't we? Right? Okay. But what's astonishing... In this covenant between God and Abraham is that Abraham 
never walks between the animals. God, look what it says in verse 12, Genesis 15, Abraham fell into a what? A deep sleep. God intentionally caused this sleep to occur. This is God's doing. So God alone would make the promise. Are you digging this for a second? God alone made the promise of salvation by grace through faith. God did it. The one who is always faithful, who keeps all his promises, guarantees the promise that those like Abraham and all his spiritual children who are known for their faithlessness and promise breaking. Are you tracking with me? The perfect promise keeper makes a promise to a bunch of promise breakers. And then he says, I'm not going to even let you walk through this. I'm making this on my own. Now that should make you smile because that's the same guarantee that we have in Christ. That's the same one. The only party that passes between the dead animals is God. God alone certified the promise. Abraham was supposed to walk through it with the Lord, but God determined to make sure that this covenant, this spiritual guarantee was dependent solely on himself. Don't you love that? The promise by God to Abraham is a covenantal promise. A covenant is a legal spiritual contract. It always involves two or more specific parties, but the terms can be stipulated and fulfilled by only one party, and that's what God chose to do. God chose to do that. This covenant relies in no way on Abraham at all. Only on God. God would die first before he broke his promise to bless Abraham and his descendants. Are you getting this? Wait a minute. Is this promise just for Abraham? Yes or no? No, it's for all those who are in Christ. It's all those who are receiving this promise that was made. In other words, God would die before he broke this promise to bless Abraham and his descendants and to deliver on many things, most importantly, a salvation which comes only by faith. Get this, mark it, mark it well. The promise of salvation by grace through faith given to Abraham and his descendants was guaranteed by God himself and God alone. Now, back to Galatians chapter 3, if you would. So what is Paul teaching here at verse 16? This is awesome. This covenant was ratified by God, only by God, God alone guaranteeing the promise to Abraham that there would be a land, that there would be a future for Israel, and that salvation would be by God's grace. That you could be reckoned righteous, and basically Abraham believed God, it says in Genesis 15, 6, and he, God, credited it to Abraham as righteousness, that's still in play. That is a promise that cannot be broken. God himself did all the work and accomplished this promise through one particular descendant of Abraham. So number two in your outline, next part of the sentence, then trust in God's promises to Abraham because of Christ. If you already can trust the promises and legal wills that people make, then trust in God's promises to Abraham because of Christ. Verse 16 tells you how this relates to you and how it relates to the Galatians as well. Verse 16, it says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, and that is who? Christ, thank you. God argues from the lesser human promise in verse 15 to the greater divine promise of verse 16. And Paul highlights the truth that the covenant of promise was superior to the covenant of law because it centers on Christ. Now you got to love Paul. Is Paul a great exegete? Man, he's a great exegete because he's very, very concerned about interpreting the Old Testament correctly. So here in Galatians, he emphasizes the word offspring or seed, focusing on the truth that it occurs in the singular. And the Bible says offspring, not offsprings. It says seed, not seeds. And the focus of Paul in verse 16 is not to make an argument from the Old Testament grammar. What he's trying to do is say, I want to tell you what the Old Testament means. I'm going to tell you what it means. So what does it mean? Under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit, 
who inspired both Genesis and Galatians, Paul exegetes the quoted passage accurately. The term seed is singular in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. It was therefore not referring to many, but it was referring to one and to your seed. And both the Greek term sperma and seed there and corresponding to the Hebrew term zerah are like the English seed in that they can either be singular or plural, but then directed by the Holy Spirit in interpreting this passage, Paul informs us that God intended this word to be plural or singular. Which one? Singular, referring directly to God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now you're saying, Chris, you're reaching. Some of you didn't have breakfast. You didn't get your donut. You didn't get to stop by Starbucks. And you're a little edgy right now, so you want to argue with me, right? And you're saying, how do you know that, Chris? Prove it to me. Do you have any proof for that? Yes, I do. Okay? The teaching's clear. But when you remember the first gospel written in your Bible, Genesis chapter 3.15, in Latin they called it the Proto-Evangelium, which means first gospel. Genesis 3.15 also uses the singular seed to refer to Jesus Christ in the same way that Genesis 22 and now Galatians 3 uses that term. What does he say? He says, I will put... As God speaks to the serpent and the enemy behind the serpent in the Garden of Eden, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he, singular, referring to her seed, shall bruise you on the head. He's going to wipe you out, Satan, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the first gospel, and it refers to Christ as the singular seed. See, I had my point for you. And John MacArthur reminds us, the one and only heir, every promise of God is Christ. Every promise given in the covenant of Abraham is fulfilled in Christ and only in Christ. And the only way a person can participate in the promised blessing of Abraham. Listen, you want the promised blessing of Abraham. The only way you're going to get that is how? To be a fellow heir with Christ through faith in him. Once that promise that is made through Christ, once you're in Christ, you're in that promise. So whether before the cross or after the cross, I want you to get this. Salvation has been by grace through faith. Those in the Old Testament, even though they didn't know who Jesus was, they looked ahead to the cross and had faith in that God would provide a salvation for them. Those of us now past the cross look back to the cross and believing that the work of Christ on our behalf and His death, burial, and resurrection is then providing salvation for us through faith, right, by grace, and all that God has blessed us with. Are you tracking with me? So whether you're before or after, salvation is the same. Understand, the old covenant goes to the cross, the new covenant looks back and comes from the cross. On the one hand, faith pointed forward. On the other hand, faith points back. But it's always been. There has never been. And can there ever be a salvation apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ? One more time. Salvation has always been in the finished work of Christ. God providing a way for men and women to be right with Him. And the only solution, are you ready? The only solution to the Middle East, the only solution to someone living who's never even heard of Jesus is Jesus. That's it. That's the only way of salvation. And understand, the covenant with Abraham was fulfilled in the covenant of Christ, which means the covenant of law cannot, could not, did not replace or modify the promise of grace given to Abraham, which pointed to Christ. Again, one more time, was Abraham reckoned righteous because he was a good guy? He was reckoned righteous and made right standing before God because he what? Had faith, had belief. Paul's teaching the Galatian churches, and man, they're being assaulted. And by the way, there's churches right now going down over this same truth. They're being attacked by people who are trying to add something to the, to the gospel of grace. They're trying to add social issues, racial harmony, all these things they're going to add to the gospel. And the moment you add to the gospel, the moment you add to grace, you destroy it. You destroy it. We are made one in Christ by His grace. Are you with me? That's what we stand upon. And these false teachers, they're, oh, they were seemingly followers of Christ. 
They're wrongly instructing them that the law from Moses overruled, altered, replaced the promises of Abraham, the promises of salvation by faith, blessing the nations, the message which leads to faith. Paul is proving them wrong. And he's teaching them that God's promises cannot and will not, are you ready? They can't be altered. They can't be replaced. They can't be overruled. God's promise of salvation is sound. And Paul's teaching you and I today how God's covenant, that irrevocable promise with Abraham affects you personally. Paul already explained earlier in the chapter, you don't have to be biologically related to Abraham to claim his inheritance. All you have to do is have faith in Christ. The true sons of Abraham are not identified biologically. The true sons and daughters of Abraham are identified Christologically. Once you're in Christ, you got the promise that was given to Abraham. The covenant of promise was really for Christ. And when you belong to Christ, that promise belongs to you. And don't you love it? Come on, you're Bible scholars here, right? By resting his case on the ending of a noun, seed, not seeds, isn't the apostle modeling for you the exactness of Scripture? And that it has the absolute authority. He's teaching you, he's pressing you to depend on and live by the authority of the Word of God. Can you count on this book, yes or no? Yes, you can. In fact, all the promises here. And how could Paul make such a precise point from the Hebrew text of the Old Testament unless he believed that this was God's written word and these promises stand. In fact, even though Paul did, did not use these precise words, I believe that he is affirming the Bible's infallible, the Bible is inerrant from beginning to end, and God's promises in his word, the Bible, are the only dependable promises that we can camp on. These never go away. In fact, number three in your outline, for God does not change or forget His promises. God does not change. Even though the course of time, God does not change and forget. Look at verse 17. Paul says, what am I saying this? What am I saying? Well, is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. Now, what's he saying? You know, Paul is looking at this and he knows the Judaizers are viewing the law of Moses that was introduced 430 years later after the promise of salvation by faith in Abraham. They're seeing this, the Judaizers do, the false teachers as their trump card. This is their winning argument. They would say, you get it, don't you? The law changes everything. So they'd say, now to receive the blessing of Abraham, you have to obey the law of Moses. That's what they'd say, errantly. And Paul is killing it here and he says, "Uh uh-uh. He says that, really. That, that's in the language there. Uh-uh. False conclusion. Verse 17, the law, what's he say? Does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God. You cannot change a promise of God as to nullify that promise. You can't do it. The law of Moses cannot turn God's promise to Abraham of salvation through faith alone into something other than what it is. It's a promise from And it stands upon a covenant, which is a legally binding spiritual agreement. And this covenant is unbreakable, it's unilateral, and it is by God only. The law and this promise operate on totally different ways. So it's so different. Commentator John Stott says this, he explains that the promise set forth a religion of God, the promise, the Abraham, God's plan, God's grace, God's initiative, it was all God. But the law sets forth a religion of man, man's duty, man's work, man's responsibility. The promise standing for the grace of God had only to be believed. Get this. The law standing for the works of men had to be obeyed, had to be obeyed. So the promise had only to be believed. The law had only to be and constantly obeyed. You are saved by grace through what? faith. Faith is not blind belief. It's not leaping off a cliff. It's based in history. It's based in fact. It's trusting God with our lives. Not just intellectually. It's trusting God with our lives. It's faith is surrendering our heart, our hope, and our future to Christ. The false teachers 
We're teaching that the law overruled the promise of grace. Paul teaches that the covenant of salvation promise is superior to the covenant of the law and also because of chronology. Take a look at what he says in verse 17. You can see this. The law which came how many years later? 430 years later did not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God. What he's saying this is the covenant of Abraham, this promise of salvation by grace through faith was permanent, unbreakable, and you ready? No amount of time can break that promise. Hey, we're sitting here 2,000 years after Jesus Christ. No amount of time can break his promises. Because this is God we're talking about. This is not a mere human. This is God. 430 years refers to the time elapsed between God's last statement of the Abrahamic covenant and the giving of the law to Moses. Uh, Track with me here. This is how it worked. The Lord repeated the promise to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. Then he repeated the promise of Abraham to his grandson Jacob in Genesis 28. The law actually came 645 years after Abraham, but 215 years later, God repeated the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob, and that date is exactly 430 years prior to the Mosaic law. Are you good with me? The last rendering of the Abrahamic promise is now 430 years later is then the law. And that's what Paul's saying here. Verse 17 reminds us, God does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified. Look what he says. See that word ratified? Circle it in your Bibles. Ratified, the tense. And again, we're looking at the specificity of exegesis. So every word, every tense has meaning to it. Yes? So what you have here, this verb ratified, the tense of that Greek verb ratified means completely solid. It's completely solid. In the past, now watch this, the tense also tells us it has continual, ongoing, remaining results to this day. Don't you love that? It was ratified in the past, but its ongoing results are all the way to our day today. All of it. It points to a lasting authority of ratification. There are a lot of tenses that he could have used on ratification, but he used the one tense that said it's a solid fact, but it has present abiding results. And so understand, he's telling us, you get it here? The mere passage of time has no effect on God's promises at all. At all. The moment you were saved, the moment you're in Christ, you are the recipient of all these promises and they are good. Are you ready for how long? Eternity! Forever! This is a powerful statement and a powerful argument. If the law of Moses was intended to be a way of salvation, then it means God changed His mind. It would mean that God decided we didn't need a Savior uh, that God somehow was you know, going to be evaluating us now on the basis of our performance, not His promise. If the law had to function as a path of salvation, then verse 17 tells us that it would not add to the promise, it would do away with the promise. The moment you add anything to grace, it destroys grace. It's no longer a gift. Understand In fact, it says in here in Galatians, we've already studied this, that the death of Christ would be unnecessary. It would be a waste. That's how important it is. So this is how Paul concludes, verse 18. Take a look at point number four in your outline and the conclusion of the sentence. And true promises are given, not earned. True promises are given, not earned. Now, I know you get it. The concept of promise and law are mutually exclusive. Now, track with me, okay? You've got to make sure that oatmeal is working for you this morning, all right? If I give you something because I promised, it's not because of your performance. If I give you something because of what you've done, your performance, it's not because of my promise. They're exclusive. Paul's adamant here, either something comes by grace or it comes by works. Either it comes because of the giver's promise or the receiver's performance. It is either one or the other, not both, and not combined. Again, don't miss this point. Every religion on planet earth is trying to work its way to heaven. There are even false forms of Christianity trying to work their way to heaven. Only your faith, only this book teaches that God provided the way. We must embrace it, believe it, put faith in it, that's it. We don't work for it. Once we're born again, things change. 
But getting salvation is not a work at all. It's faith, a non-meritorious action. Understand, the principles behind these two types of inheritance are incompatible. Uh, One is God's law and man's work. The other is God's grace and man's faith. And look what he says in verse 18. God's blessing, verse 18, are granted. Circle that word, granted. That means given to you. He gave this to you. Not only that, but the ability to fulfill the covenant are amazingly different. No man in this room, no woman in this room, and no person on this planet can succeed in keeping the law perfectly. Can I hear an amen to that? Listen, the only person who's going to raise their hand right now when I say, are you perfect, is the four-year-old. That's it. Everybody, oh yeah, that's me. Everybody else is going to go, no, no, I know. I know. I stand condemned before a holy God. And what's amazing is that God, not only can we not fulfill the law to be saved, but God cannot fail in perfectly keeping His promise granted to you. In the same way, He can't fail. Because the covenant of promise is complete and solid, the covenant of law in no way can improve or change the covenant of grace. Paul calls it, verse 18, look at an inheritance. And John MacArthur again adds, by definition, an inheritance is not earned, but simply received. And to work for that which is already guaranteed is unnecessary. Trying to earn the inheritance that God gives us in this promise, that God promises through faith in His Son, is worse than foolish. To add works to the law, to faith in God's promise, is verse 17, to nullify the grace of God. And again, chapter 2, verse 21, that Christ died needlessly. Think about this. Now, now think. For a promise to bring a result, it needs to be believed. For a promise to bring a result, it needs to be believed. For a law to bring a result, it must be obeyed. It must be obeyed. So, JJ, I want to give you 10 million bucks. And all I have to do is say, I want to give you 10 million bucks. That's it. And you basically believe or not believe that I'm going to do that. And probably knowing me, you're not going to believe it. But, uh, but understand, I can give it to you or I can say to you, JJ, you know what? You take care of my yard, you know, make sure the weeds are picked and, you know, trimmed back and you really keep that baby nice for the next 10 years and then you'll get the 10 million. One way you believe, the other way you what? Obey. There's a big difference. One is a gift and one it's like you're earning your way. The gift promise needs only to be believed to be received. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. The law wage must be obeyed to be received. So, it is with the promises of God's covenant. Only God can fulfill them. And therefore, when He promises us salvation by grace, it follows we cannot earn it for ourselves. When He promises God's salvation by grace, we can't earn it. That brings us back to the point that Paul's been trying to make all of us And all of us in this room, would you agree that somehow we're recovering Pharisees? You know, always trying to earn our way and be holy and, you know, in a way that, you know, we kind of get proud of, etc. And basically, God deals with us according to His promise, not our performance. We are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone, no works. So let's take this home, would you please? Letter A, stop trying to earn God's favor. Stop trying to earn God's favor. Stop trying to earn God's acceptance. Every sin, again, past, present, and future, every single one is already punished. Right? Every wrong is paid for. All of God's wrath that you deserve for all eternity has already been poured out on Jesus Christ instead of you. He took your place. Listen, I want to make this really clear. When you, in your heart of hearts, start acting like prior to the Reformation when people would whip themselves to try to earn God's favor, when you start punishing yourself over your sin, you're telling God you're a liar. When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, you're saying, no, it isn't. I got to finish it. I got to beat myself up over what you died for. It is the ultimate, are you ready, in arrogance. You didn't do it good enough. And you're saying, 
I've got to really feel guilty and beat myself up. That's not God's plan. Now understand, when you're saved, when God saves you, God commands us to live according to His Word for His glory and our good, but not to gain acceptance. Yes, you have a new heart that wants to obey, but there is nothing in the Scripture of, this week, could you beat yourself up again over the sins that I died for? That's not in the Scripture. Why? Because it is finished past present future it died with him live under the reality of your forgiveness and God's washing you whiter than snow live under the truth that Christ did all the work and you responded by faith in him his grace his mercy his love towards you every day is based on his promise not your performance and God never breaks a promise amen Something to think about this week. Letter B, allow your new status in Christ to break down barriers. You know, the, the Jews and Gentiles in Galatia were getting along really well, and then the Judaizers showed up and all of a sudden called attention to the differences, and now they're all messed up. In Christ, barriers disappear. Every single believer in this room is equally condemned before Jesus Christ, and every believer is now equally redeemed in Christ. We were condemned, and now we're redeemed. And in Christ, we are family. In Christ, we're one with each other. Inside the church, we labor to be one heart, one mind, a doctrine and direction. Outside the church, we seek to love all those who are in Christ. Every genuine believer, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, are all one in Christ. We are sons and daughters of the King, closer than family, so act like it. In other words, you don't have to be friends with everybody, but... You don't even have to prefer everybody as your best friend, but you cannot, as a church family, allow barriers between anybody else in this church family. Say, oh, he's getting all worked up. I know of no division in our church, not one. But I'm saying this on the basis of Scripture here, take steps to mend relationships or manifest love or ask forgiveness. What does Jesus tell us? He makes it really clear in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. If you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your offering. Don't go worship me right now. Go before the altar there and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come to me and present your offering. See the priority there? Is there anyone you need to talk to? Because unity puts God on display. Letter C, start living every day by God's promises. I don't know why, this time of the year, it's a desperate need, desperate. God always keeps His promises, but we don't always remember His promises. So every day, you and I to live by God's promises and Christ's promises. Listen, this season, tough season for a lot of families, you need to start every day with a promise. Every day. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I just listed a few here. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he what? <clears throat> he cares for you. That word care and anxiety are the same word. So cast all your anxiety on him because he's anxiety for you. He cares about you. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, even when Uncle Freddie comes to visit. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Philippians 4, 19, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There are hundreds of promises in the scripture. You need to live by them. They are certain. They cannot be broken. God guarantees them by his own character. Ask about them, seek them out, find them, memorize them, and then speak them. Rehearse them, start your day with them, rely on them, live them in order to survive and thrive. We can trust in God's promises. Amen? Oh, say it like you mean it. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Extra juice from the kids. Letter D, cry out to Christ to open your heart for salvation. Salvation in Jesus Christ doesn't rest on law that we inevitably break. It rests on God's promises, which God cannot break. It rests on a promise that God cannot break. God promises forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of His Son. 
God promises eternal life to everyone who comes to Christ in faith. God will not and cannot go back on his promises. His covenant is an irrevocable will and testament, a guarantee. It stands firm forever. Cry out to Jesus to open your heart, to give you faith, to forgive your sins, and transform your life. Put the sentences together. Don't put your notes away. What's it say? If you already trust the promises made with people, then certainly you can trust in God's promises to Abraham because of Christ. For God does not change or forget His promises, and true promises are what? Given, not earned. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the encouragement of Your promises. We pray, Father, that we might revel that all the way back to Abraham, even the very beginning of the fall of mankind in Genesis 3, that we have been promised a salvation that would come through your son, Jesus Christ. We've put our hope and our faith and our trust in him. Not because we were good, not because we were religious, not because we went to church, but because of your sacrifice, your suffering, and your death on our behalf of bearing God's wrath, of rising from the dead, and now providing a salvation that is found in you. We pray, Father, that we might live by that reality every day, to trust in your promises, to see them as gold, to see them as certain, that there's so many things that we can't trust today, so many things that are undermining trust today, but we can trust in you. So we pray that you might work in our midst and work in our hearts so that we would be those who trust in your promises. We pray now that you would be glorified by our response, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.